Amen. Right, so Matthew chapter 27. We're, we're nearly through the Gospel of Matthew, but there's a lot to get through, isn't there, in this chapter. We're going to split it into two, um, like, we did, um, like we did with Matthew 26 as well. Um, and last week we were in the second part of Matthew 26, and we read about Judas's betrayal. Um, remember how he was still called a master with a band of men behind him, wasn't he? Um, we saw Simon Peter cut someone's ear off, um, but, but was told that look, Jesus didn't need that, he didn't need that physical fight, he was able to command 12 legions of angels had he wanted to, um, but that's not, not what, what, you know, what was going on there, he was, he was ultimately giving his life, wasn't he? So, um, and, and there was a lesson there, wasn't there, about our, the battle, our battle is, is spiritual, it's not a physical battle that we're called to, um, and, and the spiritual battle, it seems that the odds are in our favour, right? But when it's a physical battle, um, well, we're a bit outnumbered, aren't we? And, and there was a lesson there. And we saw, we saw the God-haters seeking false witnesses and then how, how many came, if you remember that. So they sought false witness and many false witnesses came, but it seemed that their, their, you know, their, their lies didn't agree with each other. Um, then, they then changed what he said about destroying the temple eventually, didn't they? Got him to admit to being the Christ, the Son of God, and then accused him of blasphemy before sort of slapping him around, spitting at him, punching him. And um, I mean, it's, it's just amazing, isn't it, when you read through that and see what Jesus Christ, what the Son of God went through at the hands of these wicked men. Um, finally, we looked at Peter's famous denial. And remember, initially it was to some basically girls, young ladies, wasn't it? And that was, you know, Peter, at one minute he's cutting off ears where there's a band of men, the next thing he's denying Christ to some young ladies. And sadly, that's probably, uh, you know, a similar to many, many men of God's spiritual lives, isn't it? Where they, they'll eventually probably ruin their spiritual life because of some young ladies. So um, we saw that. And in Matthew 26 and verse 75, um, finish with this. And Peter remembered the words of Jesus, which said unto him, Before the cock crow, thou shalt deny me thrice. And he went out and wept bitterly. And that was a pretty low moment for Peter there. Um, and then we go into Matthew 27 and verse 1, because if you think the cock's crowing sort of around about just before morning time, and then we've got when the morning was come, Matthew 27 and verse 1, when the morning was come, all the chief priests and elders of the people took counsel against Jesus to put him to death. I'd like to pray before we continue with this. Father, thank you for... Um, well, a great chapter of the Bible here, a chapter with so many points, so many discussion points here. Um, you know, you could preach many sermons out of this. Please help me to preach the right sermon tonight, sermon that you, your church needs, uh, um, you know, that, that the people here need to listen to. Just guide my words, guide my, guide everything I say. So it's just, just you know, according to your will. Your will um, and, and that everyone here has just got open ears, please. And um, just fill me with your spirit, please help me to just preach exactly what's needed now in Jesus name for all of this amen so um it said in verse one when the morning was come as it said all the chief priests and elders of the people took counsel against Jesus to put him to death this is how bad what was remaining of God's nation had become okay this is how bad this so-called nation of God the, these people, these chief priests and elders, which were meant to be God's chief priests, God's elders, had got to the point where all of them took counsel against the Son of God to put him to death. And, and the reason I say that is because you've got these absolute clowns, we're going to be looking at that a bit tonight, who think that, who come out with these stupid statements like, God's not done with the Jews yet, you know, and God's people, and all this sort of rubbish, and, and we've got all the chief priests and elders are seeking, uh, or sorry, at least taking counts against Jesus to put him to death. Uh, and this is after, obviously, Matthew 21, 43. If you want to flick there, you can. Matthew chapter 21, just a couple of chapters back, verse 43 where Jesus said, therefore say unto you, the kingdom of God shall be taken from you and given to a nation, bringing forth the fruits thereof. Okay, so Jesus made it clear that the, nation, that the kingdom of God was, be, was to be taken from them. We see that that's to go ultimately to a spiritual nation and that's what's going to happen there. But um, here they're all taking counsel and is it, it's no wonder that the, the kingdom of God is, is eventually taken from them. Now, what was the council about? Well, they, they had to persuade the governor because it wasn't lawful for them to put him to death. 
So they couldn't just kill Jesus Christ themselves, even with their blasphemy, blasphemy, he's worthy of death nonsense. So they, they're taking counsel, right, how are we going to persuade the governor, Pilate, to put him to death? So they're taking counsel, they're conspiring. And we talked about, this is a big conspiracy, wasn't it? In John 18, 31, you don't have to see uh, turn there, but we see it clearly revealed where it says, Then said Pilate unto them, Take ye him and judge him according to your law. The Jews therefore said unto him, It is not lawful for us to put any man to death. So that was the point. That's why they're conspiring, because they need to find a way of persuading Pilate to put him to death. The whole goal was to kill him, okay? And, and they need to persuade Pilate to do that. That's their goal, to destroy, to kill the Son of God. So verse 2 then says, And when they had bound him, they led him away and delivered him to Pontius Pilate, the governor. Now, turn to Luke 23, which, which shows us the result of the accounts together. We are going to be flicking a bit here and there to some of the other gospel accounts. Um, and, and if you don't want to, you don't have to. Or if you, if you want to make notes of these passages, you're welcome as well. It's up to you. But this is Luke 23. And this is why they took counts, because Luke 23 says this uh, in verse 1, And the whole multitude of them arose and led him unto Pilate. And they began to accuse him, saying, We found this fellow perverting the nation and forbidding to give tribute to Caesar, saying that he himself is Christ the king. I mean, what, just an out-and-out -out lie, isn't it? Forbidding to give, because when he was asked in Matthew 22, 21 about that, they say unto him, Caesar's, when he asked, you know, whose who's superscription is this? Then saith he unto them, render therefore unto Caesar things which are Caesar's and to God things that are God's. So they try to catch him out with that. He didn't fall to their, to their tricks, yet they're just lying. Just out and out lying. And, uh, and funny that they're trying to accuse him of something that they tried to get him to slip up with and he hadn't given in to. And, and this is obviously what they conspired. So they conspired, right, how are we going to get Pontius Pilate to agree to put him to death? So they just come out with this. And this is the sort of wickedness we're talking about. These are the sorts of people that just have no qualms about lying. I mean, just about a man in general, just, just conspiring a group of people to just go, right, if we say this, if we do that, I mean, that's messed up enough to get your head around, let alone when it comes to Jesus Christ, the sinless son of God. Unbelievable, isn't it? But, but again and, and we talk about this a lot because it's so hard to get you, you as our natural uh, our natural sort of inclination is to try and get in the heads of people like this you just you know you, you it's almost unbelievable because we don't want to just take the bible for what it says that there are wicked people whose consciences are seared who are given over to this absolute wickedness so we find it very hard but when you look at things like that how else do you do that stuff how else do you behave like that? It's unbelievable, isn't it? Verse, verse 3 then says, Then Judas, which had betrayed him, when he saw that he was condemned, repented himself and brought again the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and elders, saying, I have sinned in that I have betrayed the innocent blood. And they said, What is that to us? See thou to that. And he cast down the piece of silver in the temple and departed and went and hanged himself. Now, this, is, this can be confusing for many. You get those that will go, See, there was some good in Judas, wasn't there? Some will claim that he must have got saved at this point. Now, that's ridiculous because he's called the son of perdition, destruction, hell, yeah? Okay, so that's not what, it's, what, what, what we're seeing here. And this could confuse you because you could go, well, isn't his conscience seared? So, wait a second, how, why is Judas repenting if he's like the Bible describes these people? He's a Judas, he's a false prophet, he's, he's a, you know, that's where the Judas comes from, isn't it? He, he's an infiltrator. But, but these people, if you think about it, look, these types of people are regularly repenting of things, aren't they? I mean, think about the, the if you think about just the work salvationist false prophet, who's constantly, that's what their whole goal, oh, well, I've repented of this, I've repented of that. And obviously it's got nothing to do with salvation, okay? And, and Judas's repentance here has got nothing to do with that, and that's not the sort of repentance we're talking about. But some, it might be because of their belief in a work salvation. Or for, for many, it's to display a form of holiness. So whether or not it's because they think they believe in a work salvation, they believe they've got to keep repenting and everything else, or, or it's because, because they want to prove to other people they're holy, that doesn't suddenly, oh, well, but aren't these people meant to be full wicked? Yeah, people can still claim and show some form of repentance. It doesn't mean they're good people. And don't forget that Judas has just publicly betrayed him, hasn't he? If you, if you remember, he's the son of Simon, and, and I'd imagine his family, friends, people around him are fully aware of that. It, it, let's put it this way, because you could, look, for example, some, some wicked, you know, 
sexual abuser hangs himself in prison, do you go, oh, they must have been a good person deep down? Do you go, oh, well, they must have just really felt guilty? No, a lot of the time it's because their life's kind of over now. They're done. It's not like, oh, I've just got this real crisis of conscience now. I better just go and hang myself because I feel no bad. I feel so bad. No, Judas hanged himself because really his life was done now, wasn't it? Okay, it's not because he just feels so bad now. He repented himself, yeah. He, he, he changed his mind about what he'd done, but I don't believe that Judas suddenly just got this real, like, oh, I just wish I hadn't done that, you know, poor Jesus and everything else. No, I believe he's, you know, it could be one of many reasons like these. Um, and, and his life is probably ruined. His family are probably like, what on earth? And, and here's the thing as well. He brought back the money, didn't he? He brought back the money. Why did he bring back the money? Well... It, it was useless to him now, wasn't it? But he did bring it back to a load of wicked people that were conspiring to kill Jesus Christ. So it wasn't that he suddenly turned good and went, oh, I'm just going to bring the money back to people. That, it, it, why didn't he give it to the poor? His indignation about why was not this spikenard sold and given to the poor, well, it's false, was it? It's fake. So what's he doing when he, he, he brings it back? Why is he bringing it back? Well, and by the way, he could have brought it to the disciples, couldn't he? Gone his look for some burial costs or to go out and spread the word because I've repented and everything else. No, he brings it back to the chief priest, probably because he wanted some sort of public recognition for bringing it back. He wanted to show, well, actually, you know, I'm not taking the money now or whatever else or, you know, whatever that reason. And, and look, they weren't interested though, were they? They were like, see, see to that, they're not interested. Oh, we don't want the money back. Uh, and it says in verse 6, the chief priest took the silver pieces, said it's not lawful for to put them into the treasury because it is the price of blood. So they're like, what are we going to do with this? So, funnily enough, they're still trying to appear to be holy, aren't they? Oh, well, it's the price of blood. We better not put that in the treasury. While these people are plotting and planning to make up lies to persuade Pilate to kill him. Yeah? And again, this is... So, again, you can see this sort of mentality. So that... And maybe with Judas, he's trying to appear to be, oh, I'm holy now, I've changed my mind and everything else. You've just, you've just plotted against the Son of God to get him killed. You wicked devil. And... Verse 7, it says, And they took counsel, brought with them the potter's field to bury strangers in. Wherefore, that field was called the field of blood unto this day. And, and, um, and, and obviously, to this day, being when Matthew wrote this gospel. And then verse 9 says, Then was fulfilled that which was spoke by Jeremy the prophet, saying, And they took the thirty pieces of silver, the prize of him that was valued, whom they of the children of Israel did value, and gave them for the potter's field as the Lord appointed me. Now, we're going to look at that in a second. But last, last bit on Judas, look. Judas, Judas not only hanged himself, but, you know, he burst asunder in the midst as well, okay, according to Acts 1, okay? He had a terrible end, and he's, he's burning in hell, okay? No doubt about that. He's a son of perdition. He's a devil. He's a false prophet. Judas is, is done, okay? There's, there's no, like, Judas suddenly, you know, turned to Christ or any of that. There's no mention of that, is there, okay? He repented himself for one of whatever reason you could hazard a guess at. And, and, but what he didn't do is get saved, okay? Just in case. Because there are some people out there that have some bizarre, bizarre views when it comes to Judas Iscariot, okay? Based on that as well. But oh, it is an interesting thing as well. He repented himself and he didn't get saved, did he? Because repenting yourself in terms of repenting of that sin for whatever reason, it's got nothing to do with salvation, okay? Anyway. Um, Okay, but let's look at this, because this passage has confused some as well. This bit about Jeremy the prophet. Anyone ever wondered about this before and, and noticed or, or heard the criticisms about this? No? So this is one of these so-called attacks on the King James. They try and call it an error, because there's no mention of 30 pieces of silver in the book of Jeremiah. So they're like, wait a second, because the book of Zechariah mentions 30 pieces of silver. This must have been, I saw someone try and claim that this must have been a scribal error. You know, I... I don't have any scribal errors in my King James Bible, so I don't know what, what, what Bible they're looking at, okay? So, so what, what is the issue here? Well, like I said, in Jeremiah we don't see 30 pieces, but bear in mind, firstly, it does say spoken by the prophet, not written, but turn back to Jeremiah 32, because it is very interesting this, and what is the point of this? Why, why in Matthew's Gospel is it talking about a fulfilment of something spoken by Jeremy the prophet, where it's not actually that clear. Well, you're going back to Jeremiah 32, which, like I say, I, I believe this is the original prophecy, and it's when Jeremiah's in prison, and it says in verse 6, Jeremiah 32 and verse 6, and Jeremiah said, 
the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Behold, Hanamiel, the son of Shalem, thine uncle, shall come unto thee, saying, Buy thee my field that is in Anathoth, for the right of redemption is thine to buy it. So Hanamiel, mine uncle's son, came to me in the court of the prison, according to the word of the Lord, and said unto me, Buy my field, I pray thee, that is in Anathoth, which is in the country of Benjamin. For the right of inheritance is thine, and the redemption is thine. Buy it for thyself. Then I knew that this was the word of the Lord. And I brought the field of Hanamiel, my uncle's son, that was in Anathoth, and weighed him the money, 17 shekels of silver. So he's given the price of the field as the Lord appointed him, yeah? Notice how it's 17 shekels, not 17 pieces, by the way. Who knows? Perhaps that's the same. I don't know. I think it probably is. But keep a finger here and turn to Zechariah 11, which is where we see the 30 piece of silver mentioned. So this is why most people would point to Zechariah 11 and go, well, this is clearly what it's talking about. Well, we have seen him talk about giving the price of the field that we just saw in, in Matthew 27 there. Zechariah, Zechariah chapter 11, Zechariah 11, and we're going to look from verse 12. Zechariah 11:12 says this, And I said unto them, If ye think good, give me my price, and if not, forbear. So they weighed for my price 30 pieces of silver. And the Lord said unto me, Cast it unto the potter, Remember, they bought the potter's field, a goodly price that I was prized out of them. And I took the 30 pieces of silver and cast them to the potter in the house of the Lord. So this is, you know, this is Zechariah here uh, giving this example of, of the price of himself. So, so no mention of the field, yeah? However, this is, like I said, the price now of Zechariah. And it's a 30 piece of silver and is then cast away. And as with sort of, you know, as Judas cast away his, right? So you can see why people are going, but this is Zechariah, isn't it? So for me, Zechariah's prophecy is building upon Jeremiah's original prophecy, okay? So you've got Jeremiah's prophecy, which you wouldn't understand is referring to this until we get to the New Testament. And, and, and here, well, in Matthew's Gospel, he's referring to the original prophecy of Jeremiah back in chapter 32. Go back to chapter 32 and see why Zechariah, for me, builds upon this. But there's a reason why we're being pointed to Jeremiah 32, isn't there? Okay, for something that we wouldn't necessarily have, have realised was the prophecy here. The chapter begins with Judah surrounded by Nebuchadnezzar, as it's called here, and we know of Nebuchadnezzar and the armies of the Chaldeans. Jeremiah is imprisoned because he's prophesied of the victory of the Babylonians. He buys this field, and the point of it is this. Verse 14 says this in Jeremiah 32 and verse 14. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, take these evidences, this evidence of the purchase, both which is sealed and this evidence which is open, and put them in an earthen vessel that they may continue many days. For thus saith the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, houses and fields and vineyards shall be possessed again in this land. Now, regardless of the coming destruction, the carrying away, the raising of the city, one day God's people will return. Okay, that's what it's talking about here back in Jeremiah 32. And this is talking about, obviously, the, the destruction that's coming from Babylon, okay, from, from Nebuchadnezzar and, and the Babylonians. Now, Jeremiah then prays unto God, and it's like this, this prayer of praise, and then God replies this in verse 27. Behold, I am the Lord, the God of all flesh. Is there anything too hard for me? Therefore, thus saith the Lord, Behold, I will give this city into the hand of the Chaldeans, into the hand of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, and he shall take it. Now, by the way, at this point in Matthew's Gospel, if you're starting to see the, the, the similarities here, history's repeating itself. We're seeing the second fulfillment of this prophecy. Jerusalem is about to be destroyed by the Romans in 70 AD. Okay, and this is now the kind of the second fulfillment. Okay, look at verse 29, and the reason we're being pointed here. And the Chaldeans that fight against this city, and now we can say the Romans, shall come and set fire on this city and burn it with the houses upon whose roofs they have offered incense unto Baal and poured out drink offerings unto other gods to provoke me to anger. For the children of Israel and the children of Judah have only done evil before me from their youth. For the children of Israel have only provoked me to anger with the work of their hands, saith the Lord. For this city hath been to me as a provocation of mine anger and of my fury from the day that they built it, even unto this day, that I should remove it from before my face. Because of all the evil of the children of Israel and of the children of Judah, which they have done to provoke me to anger, they, their kings, their princes, their priests, and their prophets, and the men of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem. And they have turned unto me the 
back and not the face, so I taught them, rising up early and teaching them, yet they have not hearkened to receive instruction. But they set their abominations in the house, which is called by my name, to defile it. And they built the high place of Baal, which are in the valley of the son of Hinnom, to cause their sons and their daughters to pass through the fire unto Molech, which I commanded them not. Neither came it into my mind that they should do this abomination to cause Judah to sin. And now, therefore, thus saith the Lord, the God of Israel, concerning this city, whereof ye say it shall be, de uh, sorry, be delivered into the hand of the king of Babylon by the sword and by the famine and by the pestilence. Behold, I will gather them out of all countries, whither I have driven them in mine anger and in my fury and in great wrath, and I will bring them again unto this place and will cause them to dwell safely. Now, this, uh, Jeremiah 32, is someone that an old pastor of mine used to like, uh, Jeremiah 32, see, you know, the... the, the God's not done with the Jews, this is what he'd say. And, uh, you know, they're going to return and everything else. But, but, and obviously the brainwashed by Zionism dispensationalist, Zionism, sorry, will, will, say, will say, look, the Balfour Declaration, that's a fulfilment of this prophecy. You know, it, it, you know it, 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 this is it. This is, this is what we've seen. But, but who is God talking about gathering? Is it a load of Ashkenazi convert, converts, some false religion? Is that who he's, is he going, I'm going to gather anyone that converts en masse, some bunch of, of nomads, someone who converts en masse to this false religion, I'm going to bring them back to, to is that what he's talking about here? I, I mean, you've got to have rocks in your head to honestly believe this nonsense, haven't you? But this is believed by mainstream Christianity all over the world. This is believed by saved, it seems, Baptists, who seem to believe the right gospel, who somehow have been hoodwinked into thinking that that's what it's talking about here. That a load of converts somewhere, of which, I mean, I, I, and I don't even think this is debated by these people. Most Jews, as we know them out there, would, would go, yeah, like most are Ashkenazis. And, and it's just some wicked false religion. So, no. Who's he talking about gathering? Well, even if they could somehow trace percent. So even if, let's just say, okay, let's just say this passage of scripture, okay, let's say he's talking about a physical people, yeah? Even if they could somehow trace their genetics back, and let's be honest, most people probably could trace their genetics back to here because genetics have been pretty mixed up over the last couple of thousand years. But even if so, in 1 Timothy 1.4, Paul told Timothy, neither give heed to fables and endless genealogies which minister questions, rather than godly edifying, which is in faith. So do. So he said, don't give heed to any of that. So how does that work? How we all, apparently, should all be going, yeah, yeah, these guys are back, and God's not done with the Jews, because they claim to have some genetic inheritance, which most of them admit only goes back to the Ashkenazi conversion, this big conversion back in sort of the 8th century AD. Well, turn to Galatians 3. I'll tell you why we know it's a load of nonsense, because there is no more physical nation. There is no more physical nation. It's a hoax. It's nonsense. It's absolute nonsense propagated by the same people that claim to have some sort of inheritance of a land which they don't. And Galatians 3 and verse 26 says, For ye are all the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. It's not by faith in a God, it's faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you as have been baptised into Christ, have put on Christ, no, there is neither Jew nor Greek. I mean, these are famous verses, aren't they? That which people are probably like, talk about the male or female bit or something else to take that out of context. But no, there is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither bond nor free. There is neither male nor female. For ye are all one in Christ Jesus. And if ye be Christ, then are ye Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. So back in Jeremiah 32, if you go back there, what is the second fulfilment? It's a millennial reign. That's what we're waiting for, isn't it? That's the fulfilment. Converting to the wicked Christ-rejecting religion of Judaism and stealing land and houses off some poor Palestinians is not part of the prophetic calendar. Okay, that's not what any of this is talking about. It's not talking about going over and going, oh yeah, we're, we're you know, what do they call it? They're settling. Oh, we're, we're building more settlements. Basically, we're going to kick you out of your home, steal your land because we converted to some wicked Christ-rejecting religion at some point in, in my family history. It's... it's 
absolutely ridiculous. It is ridiculous. Yet, sadly, how many seemingly serious men of God seem to believe this junk? It's madness. Okay, no, what's next? What's next in God's prophetic calendar? The tribulation. It's a tribulation. That's what's next. Then we've got the wrath. Then we've got the millennial reign. And that's what it's talking about here. Where he says in verse 38 of Jeremiah 32, and they shall be my people and I will be their God. No, he's not talking about the Christ-hating religious people of Judaism. And I will give them one heart and one way, yep, because we are all, all of us, yeah, one in Christ Jesus, aren't we? And one way, and they may fear me forever for the good of them and of their children after them. Okay, definitely not those head-banging Jews over in Israel, okay? Verse 40, and I will make an everlasting covenant with them. And this is what they're going to go see as an everlasting covenant. Go, look, look, God's not done with the Jews. That I will not turn away from them to do them good, but I'll put my fear in their hearts that they shall not depart from me. Well, what's the everlasting covenant? Hebrews 13 and verse 20 says, Now the God of peace that brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the everlasting covenant, make you perfect in every good work to do his will, working in you that which is well-pleasing in his sight, through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. The everlasting covenant through faith in the blood of Jesus Christ. That's the blood of the everlasting covenant, right? It's no longer a physical nation. Okay, it's done from this point. They're done. He's taken it away, the kingdom of God, and given it to a nation bearing the fruits thereof. Okay, it's now a spiritual nation. And that's what it's talking about in Jeremiah 32 and verse 41. Yea, I will rejoice over them to do them good. And I will plant them in this land assuredly with my whole heart and with my whole soul. For thus saith the Lord, like as I have brought all this great evil upon this people, so will I bring upon them all the good that I have promised them. And fields shall be brought in this land. This is the point of this. Sorry, brought in this land. Whereof ye say it is desolate without man or beast. It is given into the hand of the Chaldeans. Men shall buy fields for money and subscribe evidences and seal them and take witnesses in the land of Benjamin and in the place about Jerusalem and in the cities of Judah and in the cities of the mountains, in the cities of the valley and in the cities of the south, for I will cause their captivity to return, saith the Lord. The whole point of directing us back here, the whole point in Matthew's Gospel directing us to Jeremiah 32, to the more obscure prophecy by Jeremiah is to show the second fulfillment of the whole prophecy and to give those people, especially of that day, bearing in mind that people are reading, like as this is being written, it's kind of just before, not long before, we get to then 70 AD and, and people are getting, like the whole place is getting burnt down. And it's to remind them that even with them buying that field, it's to remind them of the prophecy in Jeremiah 32 and this being the second fulfillment that eventually one day, God's people, yeah, who are his people by faith in Christ, will one day return. Okay, they will one day return. It's to remind the millennial reign to come and, and, you know, and why the end of the physical nation is there forever. Because this is a reminder even then, he's going, okay, but one day they'll come back. And then we just see wickedness, 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 and then eventually it's taken for them, but God's people will one day return. And it wasn't, um, it, you know, it wasn't obviously contradicting previous prophecies, because as Romans 2, 28, 29 says, since the New Testament, it says, for he is not a Jew, which is one outwardly, neither is that circumcision, which is outward in the flesh, but he is a Jew, which is one inwardly, and circumcision is that of the heart, in the spirit, and not in the letter, whose praise is not of men, but of God. Okay? And that's the point there. If you go back to Matthew 27, and the point in that beginning passage, and where, where we're pointed to that, and pointed to that original prophecy of Jeremiah 32, is just another reminder, another reminder that, that yeah, it's been taken from them, but ultimately God's people will one day return. And where are we going to rule and reign with Christ from in a millennial reign? From Jerusalem, right? That's where the headquarters are going to be. So anyway, back to verse 9 in Matthew 27, where it says this. Then was fulfilled that which spoke by Jeremy the prophet, saying, and they took the 30 piece of silver, the price of him that was valued, whom they of the children of Israel did value. And that's what that original prophecy was about as well. And gave them for the potters filled as the Lord appointed me. 
And Jesus stood, and then repeated, obviously, and given more depth by, by Zechariah. And Jesus stood before the governor, and the governor asked him, saying, Art thou the king of the Jews? And Jesus said unto him, Thou sayest. And when he was accused of the chief priests and elders, he answered nothing. Then said Pilate unto him, Hearest thou not how many things they witness against thee? And he answered him to never a word, insomuch that the governor marveled greatly. Because anyone else would have been begging for their life here, wouldn't they? Yeah, they would have been begging for their life, pleading, trying to persuade him that they had the wrong man, that it was wrong. You know, he obviously is seeing through this already, as we see, he knows why they delivered him. And, and Jesus Christ isn't. Not denying the accusations, he's not trying to persuade him. Because Jesus' life wasn't really in the hands of Pilate. He said look, that he could have no power except God had given it to him. And, and really he gave himself willingly, didn't he? So obviously he doesn't need to be doing that he's not there to plead for his life verse 15 says now at, the, at that feast the governors want to release unto the people a prisoner whom they would and they then they had then a notable prisoner called barabbas now you don't have to turn it mark 15 7 says and there was one named barabbas which lay bound with them that had made insurrection with him who had committed murder in the insurrection so what we see from mark's gospel account is that this guy is a rebel and a murderer okay barabbas is a rebel and a murderer he's not just a notable prisoner it says in verse 17 here in matthew's gospel therefore when they were gathered together pilate said unto them whom will ye that i release unto you barabbas or jesus which is called christ now there's a couple of pictures here if you remember back in and we're not going to go there but back in Leviticus 16 there's a scapegoat being released and the other one sacrificed and this is I, that's what that was a picture of so so they do this sacrifice and they get these two goats and they let one go that's a scapegoat and then the other one sacrificed and there's that obviously that's fulfilling that picture back in Leviticus and there's a couple of other things here and I, we'll, we'll talk about them in a second verse 18 before we do says this for he knew that for envy they had delivered him and, and i just want to hit this quickly did it say he thought that for envy did it say he thought that for envy no he knew okay that's the holy spirit saying he knew that for envy they had delivered him but but wasn't it because they were false prophets wasn't it because they were doing the devil's bidding because i think again it could be confusing this sort of thing yes but for them, the overriding emotion was envy. And Romans 1.29 says that these types of people are full of envy. So, yes, yes, they're doing the devil's bidding, but the devil, I think, uses just the wickedness, the sin, for them to then do his bidding, you know? So these people are just full of envy and murder, debate, deceit, and the rest of it, malignity, whisperers, backbite, saves of God. However, these people here, they're, they're, it's the envy that's ultimately used to do his will, which is to kill the Son of God. But what was it that they envied then? Is it that they just envy that he's the Son of God? Do they, do they think they're going to somehow become the Son of God? No. Is it that they think that they're somehow going to do some of his miracles? No. It's the people. They want the people. That's what false prophets want. They want the people. Acts 13.45 says, but when the Jews saw the multitudes, they were filled with envy. Okay, this is with Paul. When they saw the multitudes, they were filled with envy and spake against those things which were spoken by Paul, contradicting and blaspheming. Okay, yes, they're wicked, okay? Yeah, they're wicked people. They're easily used by the devil, but it's through their wickedness. And with, with this particular point, it's the envy. They just envy the leading. They envy the people following him. They want that for themselves. And they hated it. They hated the fact that Jesus Christ had people following because they want their own following. They want their own people. It was for envy. And Pilate could see this himself, couldn't he? Okay, just, just saw it clearly. It was for envy that they had delivered him. And sometimes when people are envious, you can just see it, can't you? And you just know, and Pilate isn't, he's astute enough to just see them, and this is, this is envy all over. I mean, the eyes literally sometimes go green with people, don't they, when you've been around people like that. Okay, then verse 19 says, When he was set down on the judgment seat, his wife sent unto him, saying, Have thou nothing to do with that just man? For I have suffered many things this day in a dream because of him. So Pilate is given a chance here. His wife warns him, but, but ultimately he still fails. And then verse 20 says, But the chief priests and elders persuaded the multitude that they should ask Barabbas and destroy Jesus. So 
there's, there's, look, there's a couple of pictures here. Okay, so first, like I said, he's fulfilling that scapegoat. Now, you, there's the one just obvious picture, which is you've got this guy that's, that's a murderer and a rebel, and then you've got Jesus Christ, and he's basically released because of the sacrifice of Christ, yeah? And, and you could say that just pictures every sinner, doesn't it? Okay, you've got every sinner there whose picture being released because of the death of Jesus Christ, yeah? That's all it comes to. However, there's another picture here that I think I might have talked about before maybe when, when we went through the Gospel of John. But you've got this rebellious murderer. And who does that also picture? The devil. Okay, so you've got uh, the devil who rebelled against God, who was a murderer from the beginning, yeah? And then you've got the sinless Lord Jesus Christ. And they're the two options presented to the people, aren't they? So you've got the devil, picturing the devil, Barabbas is picturing the devil, the rebellious murderer. And then you've got the Lord Jesus Christ, the sinless son of God. And they're the two options. And what are the Jews, the synagogue of Satan doing? Verse 20 says, but the chief priests and elders persuaded the multitude that they should ask Barabbas and destroy Jesus. Do you know what they're doing? They're persuading the multitude to choose the devil instead of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I'll tell you what, nothing's changed. <laughs> Nothing has changed in a couple of thousand years, is it? They've carried on persuading the multitude to choose the devil instead of the Lord Jesus Christ. And, and we, we look at it now, we look at the kind of modern you know, media and, and we can see just it clear as day now, but I, I think this has always been the case. I think that, that, you know, the Bible's been for every generation. And I think that these people, we, we were talking about this a little while ago, when we see in the book of Acts, they're constantly following around, um, they're following around Paul, they're persuading the multitude, persuading the people. They, they, for example, they get them lewd fellows of the baser sort. They're constantly getting a multitude together in uproar. They persuade the, the um, what, what, is it, what does it describe them as? I think it's the, the just men and the... I'm trying to remember the name for the women, but basically religious women, it says in the book of Acts as well. And they're constantly persuading the people to hate on Paul and the gospel and ultimately the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, when they do this, it seems that they start to get higher and higher with the people they're persuading. So in some areas, they're persuading some pretty high-end people. Yeah, the, I think it was the honourable women, okay, or the honourable men, and the, I'm trying to remember the description. But however, point being that these people, they're, they're, they seem to be going higher and higher, persuading the higher ends of the society that Paul's going to. And I don't think, I don't think anything's particularly new here. These same people, this same synagogue of Satan, because if you think about it, Satan's a small g god of this world, and he, and he works through people, doesn't he? These people have been in the upper echelons of society ever since. And they probably worked their way up in the Roman society. If you think it just, it degraded into pure debauchery, didn't it, by the end? S open, rampant sodomy and the rest of it. And, and maybe they've just con continued to pull the strings ever since. Maybe. Maybe through all these weird society, secret societies. And some of that's true, yeah? Some of it maybe is hyped up. But there's stuff, there's weird stuff that goes on, okay? There's weird stuff. And look... These people, what do they do? What do they ultimately, what are they trying to do? Trying to persuade the multitude to choose the devil. And nowadays, how do they do that? They do that through just the deceitfulness of sin, through just pushing it and promoting it, pushing and promoting all this weird occultic stuff, pushing and promoting filth, mocking the Lord Jesus Christ in one way or another, constantly trying to criticise the, the evidence for the Bible, the evidence for God, the, the constantly promoting other false religions, and nothing's changed. And these, these, it's the same people. It's the same people. And you go, oh, you must be racist. No, they're not a race. They're a religion. They're a bunch of Christ-rejecting, Babylonian Talmud-following religious nutters. Okay, and yep, I, I hate that religion. Yeah, yeah, through thy precepts I get understanding, therefore I hate every false way. Yeah, and, and that is probably the ultimate false way, isn't it? Because they have rejected the Saviour and now they spend their time trying to persuade the multitudes and the people to choose the devil instead of the Lord Jesus Christ.
Uh, and nothing's changed there, has it? The synagogue of Satan. Yeah, that's what they are. And, and that's what they're doing here. I wonder how they did it here, though. What do you think they did? We lies about Jesus to the multitude. They're quickly just coming out with all these lies. Probably glamorizing Barabbas, aren't they? How cool he is and, you know, how much fun it is. You know, the, the, the devil's way is so great. And he's, you know, they, straight away they probably be like, oh, Barabbas ain't so bad. He's just a bit more laid back, you know, a bit less uptight than everyone. I don't know. They probably come up with something, didn't they? Same sort of stuff that they do now. Verse 21 says, The governor answered, said unto them, Whether of the twain were ye that I release unto you, they said Barabbas. Now, I think here we're now talking about the multitude. Pilate saith unto them, what shall I do then with Jesus, which is called Christ? They all say unto him, let him be crucified. So they clearly persuaded the multitude, didn't they? they, got, and, they and they do that to this day. And they do it through their media. They do it through their, through their wicked, filthy Hollywood, through their, all their wicked music industry through all the publishing companies with their wicked literature, their wicked books. It's all the same. It's all the same stuff. And back then they would persuade the multitude and they've carried on doing it since. And the governor said, why? What evil, evil have he done? But they cried out the more saying, let him be crucified. When Pilate saw that he could prevail nothing, but, rather, but that rather a tumult was made, he took water and washed his hands before the multitude saying, I am innocent of the blood of this just person. See you to it. Now, again, you know, certainly in John 19, 11, it says, Jesus answered, Thou couldest have no power at all against me, except it were given thee from above. Therefore, he that delivered me unto thee had the greatest sin. Right. He wasn't innocent, okay? Pilate wasn't. He, might, he could wash his hands a hundred times. He could wash his hands with all sorts of industrial soap. You know, the best ones out there. Do they still use Swarfiga nowadays? I remember when I was young, it's like, any problem, get the Swarfiga out. Yeah? He could have got the swarfiegel all over his hands and everything else. But I tell you what, he, he still wasn't, he wasn't, was he? It says here that, that he that hath delivered me unto thee had the greater sin. Okay? Look, Pilate wasn't innocent. However, they had the greater sin. Okay? And, and I say that just because, again, we have this kind of weird, um, I don't know if you call it a rhetoric, where they try and claim that it's a, it's, it's a Roman's that killed Jesus, you know, had nothing to do with the Jews, that you must be some sort of racist if you talk about that. Didn't they, didn't they get really upset with Mel Gibson when he did his Passion movie? Because he, I mean, it was, I mean, it was still a lot of Catholic nonsense, but just because he actually had the Jews going, crucify him, like the Bible says! Like the Bible says, yet they're like, oh, he's a racist, he's anti-Semitic and everything else. And, you know, you know no, they, they delivered him. They have the greater sin, right? It wasn't just the Romans. They used the Romans to kill him. But, um, but yeah, but still, Pilate still, still chose to allow the crucifixion of the Lord. And, and why did this governor, this politician, choose to allow it? Because that's really what he was. Because of the tumult. Because the people were worked up. And again, we see that tactic nowadays as well. Where, and of course, a lot of the time it's just now bribery and it's, you know, getting them into all sorts of wicked sexual sin and stuff with politicians. But also it's, they fear the people. So they work up a tumult through the media, through the press and things like that. I mean, a lot of the time it's funny. They, they'll, like, something will have just, someone said something. They'll get some statement by someone that they want to attack. And then this is what the press will do. They'll go, you know, outrage at this. Or there is, like, calls for the, calls for the sacking of this person, something else. It's like, it's only just happened. No one said anything. The press prints that, and then all the moron people just go, yeah, ah, everyone's calling for it, I'm joining in. But no one actually was. It was just the idiot that wrote the article. And that's how they put pressure on politicians as well. It's a fear of the people, the tumult of the people. And obviously he just, it says here, when Pilate saw that he could prevail nothing, but that rather a tumult was made. And he's like, right, I'm washing my hands, you know, like the politician, it's not my fault. It's the people. <laughs> it's the people. You chose to do it, Pilate. Anyway, then answered all the people and said, his blood be on us and on our children. That is a strong statement, isn't it? His blood be on us. God's not done with the Jews yet. <laughs> it just, you can't make this, you can't make it up, can you? But, but they will have you believe, the mainstream, that it was evil Romans. Yeah, that's what most Christians, you go to, so what happened to Jesus? The Romans crucified him. Yeah. Who called for the crucifixion of him? The, who forced them? Who forced Pilate's hand? 
These people that then said, his blood be on us and on our children. Okay, pretty clear. Then released he Barabbas unto them, and when he had scourged Jesus, he delivered him to be crucified. Now, what's, what was the scourging all about? What's scourging? Whipping. Wait a second. What's, well, I don't remember that bit. Like, what is in, why did you have to do that, Pilate? I thought you just had to crucify him. Mark 15 and 15 says, And so Pilate, willing to content the people, released Barabbas unto them and delivered Jesus when he had scourged him to be crucified. So not only did he give, the, give him up to be killed, but he's just now trying to butter up the people. He's just playing to the people that the Jews have whipped up, the multitude, and now he's just like, oh yeah, we'll whip him as well. We'll whip him, we'll scourge him, and then we'll crucify him. Is that going to get me any extra brownie points? And again, like, whoa, what a piece of filth he is as well, really, isn't it? Then look at verse 27. Then the soldiers of the governor took Jesus into the common hall, and gathered unto him the whole band of soldiers, and they stripped him and put on him a scarlet robe. And when they had plaited a crown of thorns, they put it upon his head and a reed in his right hand. And they bowed the knee before him and mocked him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews. And they spit upon him and took the reed and smote him on the head. And after that, they had mocked him. They took the robe off from him and put his own raiment upon him and led him away to crucify him. Now, for me, look, I'm sure there were some wicked people in the army there, yeah? And I'm sure there were some, some vile, God-hating reprobates in there because they kind of get everywhere. However, for me, this is just the far-reaching influence of these wicked people, isn't it? Okay, they've just seen all of this. They've got Pilate already scourging him as well before, before crucifying. He didn't need to do that. And now these guys... Are, are, are doing the same and they're mocking and scorning like what, what on earth has that got to do with them why are they doing all of that because people are just so easily influenced because they've just heard it all this is exactly by the way what was going on before when when they had him in in you know in in the um sorry before they took him to Pilate in the at the chief priest's house and they're beating him and slapping him and spitting at him and everything else and now we're seeing the same thing being repeated now by these people and, and, and no they're not Jews no they're not yeah they are the Romans yeah however they delivered them unto unto the Romans the Jews did however it's the same stuff because the people are just morons and they're so easily influenced by these people people are aren't they all these people you go and, and look it's not because it's not just the reprobates it's not just the 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 real god haters that mock jesus that scorn him that that basically spit at jesus christ in one way or another that that will you know that will act like these guys are here and they're so easily whipped up to behave like that aren't they and we see that out there you see that when you knock on, just because you knock on a door and someone's mocking it doesn't mean they're a reprobate does it it doesn't mean that they're some Christ-hating Jew. It's because they're so easily influenced by the Christ-hating Jews, as they're known of as today, at least. Yeah? And, and, and that's what we see, don't we? And, and it's sad, and it's, it's, a real, it's really pathetic, really, isn't it? I mean, the amount of people, we, we had it today, and you are getting more of this now. I remember before I used to say, look, I don't really come across that many people that go something along the lines of, I believe in science, or I'm... Uh, I'm a bit too much of a scientist to believe that. There, there was quite few and far between because I remember talking to a friend that, that I got saved a couple of years back. and So it was only that long ago and he's saying, oh, you, how do you deal with that? And I said, I'll be honest, it's not that often. It's not that common. And I don't think it was. I think that's increased recently because I am finding it more. Maybe, again, it's because we're doing a bit more local area stuff and the prideful sort of more middle class in this country will generally try and hide behind the whole science angle, won't they? But well, we had a couple tonight, didn't we? We had one, I think, earlier on with you. I had another later. Just just the whole... I'm so, I mean, I had a kid doing it. I mean, he's like a teenager, you know, after... Yeah, I believe in science, and when you look at, you know... And I said, is there anything I could show you that would change your mind? No. I mean, amazing, isn't it? But point being, that, that what is it really? They're just easily influenced. Just morons. They're just scorning Jesus, mocking, saying it with that smug look on their face, like somehow they're too clever to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. And here, the, the, these Roman soldiers have just been so easily influenced by these same Christ-hating people, right? And, and, but 
aside from all of that, and aside from the, what we see there and the, and the examples of people today, what's it really? It's just another reminder of everything that Jesus Christ went through. And it's not just the death, I don't want to use the word just, but it wasn't, you know, only the death alone. It wasn't the, the, the burning in hell for three days and three nights. It wasn't he, that he tasted death for every man. It's also that the, the God of this world came and got just abused and mocked and slapped about and spat at and everything by just a bunch of absolute idiots. And, uh, you know, what a power he had to not just open his mouth and kill them all with the word of God that comes out of his mouth. What power he had to put up with that. To, I mean, all of us, every single person here, if you had the power that the Lord Jesus Christ had, you wouldn't have put up with five seconds of that, would you? Really, why? Because of our own ego and pride. Because you wouldn't, you'd just be like, what? Yeah, let alone if you were the God of this world. Yeah. How humble is he? The humility and the suffering to just, to just, to do all of that for us. To just not even open his mouth, you know, like a, like a lamb done before the shearers. He opened not his mouth and then he, he allowed them to do all of that. To suffer for us, to, to give an example for us as we go through persecution and tribulation and to die for us. Absolutely amazing, isn't it? And, and again, I, I, for me, the timing right now to be reading this as we come up to the Lord's Supper, as we come up to Easter, uh, you know, it's, it's good timing, isn't it? And just to remind us everything that Jesus Christ went through for us. Uh, that's the end of uh, part one of Matthew 27, and we'll be doing part two next week. On that, let's pray. <clears throat> Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for, um, well, just, just the many truths that we got out of that first part of of the you know matthew's gospel in chapter 27 there and wow just amazing truths there um and things that have never changed you know your word is timeless it can teach us so much about you know what we see in this day and age and you know it's, we see so many so many similarities so many pictures there so many um truths there we thank you that well that we we um you know that, that middle wall of partition has been broken down that there are there is just one per, one people now you know there's neither jew nor greek there's neither bond nor free or male nor female you know we're all one in christ jesus we thank you for that we thank you that we are your people that we're your nation help us to never have our heads turned by the sort of lies and nonsense out there to to not be able to take hold of those promises that you've given to all of us here as your people as your nation lord thank you for that thank you that um you know that, that, that you saved us thank you for that salvation thank you for everything that the lord jesus christ went through for us thank you for you know for for everything that that, that you've done for us please um please just bless our bless our weeks now bless uh, bless our journeys home help us get home safe and sound help us to return here on sunday uh, for another day in your house in jesus name for all of this amen